Sholem Aleichem. Welcome to the Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I am visiting with Ezra Glentner. Ezra is the critic at large of the foreword. He's an editor of the recently published Have I Got a Story for You? More Than a Century of Fiction from the Foreword. Born and raised in Winnipeg, Manitoba, he attended McGill University and New York University, where he received a master's degree from the Arthur L. Carter Journalism Institute. He's currently writing a biography of the seventh and last Lubavitcher Rebbe, Menachem Mendel Schneerson, for Yale University Press. His writing has appeared in The New Republic, The Paris Review Daily, Book Forum, and Walrus Magazine, among other publications. Ezra is also a 2016 Yiddish Book Center Translation Fellow. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, Thanks so much for joining me today to talk about your newest collection, Have I Got a Story for You? It's my pleasure to be here. So the book includes, what, 42 stories that originally appeared in the foreword in Yiddish, and they're newly translated. Correct, yeah, by 26 writers. Wow. Um, so that list of uh, Yiddish writers uh, whose work appeared in the forewords um, is quite a list. Um that's included in this collection. Some of the, I think it's safe to say, most celebrated Yiddish writers, along with some names that may be lesser known. Um, and this was sort of all the work um, of the visionary, I think it's safe to say, editor Abraham Kahan. And he decided to publish these. Can you share a little bit about this? Yeah, it's um, uh, largely um, his influence at work here. Um, was um, editor for almost the first uh, 50 years of the newspaper's existence, so definitely during its heyday, and while many of these writers uh, were at the, the peak of their careers, um, and he really did influence uh, which writers appeared in the newspaper, you know, which uh, writers uh, the newspaper, and he personally supported, um, and it's his taste that really influenced the literary output of the forward. Of course, there's a lot of more recent material uh, also that appeared after his his own tenure at the paper. So it's not entirely his doing, but mm-hmm. um, his influence is definitely pervasive. But he's he was the one who had the idea of beginning to include this as part of the newspaper's sort of... Uh, well, I wouldn't give him that much credit. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, you know, literature, um, fiction... Uh, was an immense part of uh, not just the Yiddish press, but you know the all every every um, newspaper and magazine um, in that time. You know, unlike today, where uh, finding uh, literary fiction or any kind of fiction in a newspaper or magazine is very rare. Um, in those days, it was commonplace, um, and lots of um, famous writers published their work in um, in periodicals in serialization before it appeared in books. So. Uh, that was really common, and, and it was extraordinarily common in the Yiddish press as well. Um, but um, as far as which writers, every every uh, newspaper, every publication had its own kind of tone, its own taste, its own um, its own stable of writers that it uh, preferred. And so, as far as shaping what kind of uh, literature I put in the forward, there, there, Kahan um, definitely did wield immense influence. What do you think the impact was um, in terms of publishing these works, both for the readers and the writers? Uh, well, for the writers, um, it was crucial. I mean, the forward was 
um, the largest and most popular um, Yiddish newspaper of the time, and it had the most resources and made the most money. So um, being a writer for the forward um, meant getting paid. Um, this is how they made their living. It's how they supported themselves. Um, and oftentimes when they would uh, get into uh, conflict uh, with Kahada, with the forward, which they did, um, that it was because of money, because they felt that they weren't getting paid enough or often enough. Um, for readers, of course, this gave, uh, for readers, this uh, reading forward gave them access to all of these, you know, well-known famous writers that are included in the book. Uh, but as you mentioned, a lot of less famous ones as, re- as well. And one of the great selling points of the literature that the forward published uh, wasn't just sort of the high literature, the famous writers, the um, or the you know the the well-respected ones, but what it was called should it was the 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 pulp the the serialized novels that would appear uh, daily in the paper, which were um, you know are less regarded as literature, but uh, really um, kept kept readers coming back to the paper day after day and uh, kept selling copies. And did it help to establish careers? Uh, yeah. Um, or it allowed um, it did it did help establish careers. Um, again, you know, and it helped uh, help writers continue their careers as well. Um, not all of these writers necessarily started in the forward. Often they were they started somewhere else, say in in Europe or in European publications, but were recruited by Gahan uh, for, for the forward, and because of that, it allowed them to continue being Yiddish writers, to make a living as Yiddish writers, um, and not to have to do you know, something else, not have to go to work in a sweatshop, shop, say. Uh, so it definitely allowed them to produce a body of work that wouldn't exist otherwise. And in your introduction, you talk about how you sifted through the archives to begin to find these works. Um, which you also go on to mention that these were nested within the newspaper. Um, so they sort of sat side by side with articles of the day, news of the day, an advertisement, uh, a help column. I wonder if you can expand a little bit about this in terms of what it revealed to you as you looked through this uh, body of work in the newspapers and how these pieces might have reflected um, on the times as they lived along sort of side of these news articles. Right. Um, you know, the, just the experience of going through, um, you know, old microfilm newspapers from decades ago uh, is really, you know, quite uh, a powerful experience, and whether it's in Yiddish or in any other language. Um, it really, uh, you know, they call journalism the first draft of history. Uh, and going through that, that draft, if you will, um, really gives you a feeling of the time um, that took place and that's much more immediate uh, than, say, you know, reading an account of it um, in, a, in a book, a second or third draft of history. Um, so, you know, just spending time looking at all this microfilm uh, really gives you a visceral sense of what kind of a, a readership there was, what kind of a community there was, what kind of a Society was uh, was there that this this newspaper was um, a part of and a reflection of. Um, as far as the uh, context uh, of these pieces and so their their place in the, in the newspaper, um, 
it, it was it's interesting to see how how sometimes they fit in very closely with the news of the day and sometimes not you know there was um it, it's such a, a diverse um amount of material in any given newspaper uh you know even though the front page you know might be uh, full of news you know news of say you know wars going on overseas or um you know sort of banner headline news um not all of the content of the newspaper necessarily had the same tone. You know, there would be lighthearted stuff as well. There would be some of these stories which have nothing to do with it. On the other hand, sometimes they were very closely tied. I mean, one of the, one of the major examples in this book is the novella uh, by Sholomash, uh, The Jewish Soldier, um, which is about a Jewish soldier fighting in the uh, Imperial Russian Army in the First World War. And it was published in November and December of 1914. So, you know, really just months after the war had broken out. So it was really reflecting uh, history as that history was taking place. Um, so seeing those kinds of things also was uh, definitely uh, you know, very uh, moving. I, I would imagine so. It's like, um, you know, you, you put together the collection with, let's see, like um, five different headers um, or sort of, sections under which these pieces fall. And I think those are also interesting reflections of um, the times it's immigrants and it's discontents, modern times, world on fire, the old country, and new horizons. Was it interesting to try to find the works that fit within those constructs? Uh, well, the constructs were sort of built around the works that I found to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it wasn't that I didn't come with these, you know, pre-existing um, categories and then try to fill them. It was sure. rather, you know, I, I looked to see what the newspaper had published and then, you know, thought, well, I can sort of, I can put it into these different categories to make it um, easier or you know, more comprehensible to the reader, you know, rather than just throw it all into one big pot. Were you surprised by what you found in terms of the range? I wouldn't say I wouldn't say I was surprised, but there were always uh, uh, surprising things, and a lot of the a lot of the more surprising things uh, didn't necessarily make it into the book because they weren't necessarily the highest quality pieces. But there was, I think, one of the things that surprised me uh, was how quickly um, and how early um, the uh, the newspaper, the writers of the newspaper, had. Um, acculturated themselves to American culture and American society, and that reflected itself in the fiction, you know, very early on. I came across a story called John's Christmas Present. Um, and this is from the maybe the late 1900s, the early 1900s, uh, really, really very early on. So, I mean, that did not go in the, in the, in the collection. It wasn't a particularly great story, but you know, just the fact that they were... Um, really, really um, writing within an American context and understanding it and uh, reflecting it um, from that point uh, was was sort of surprising. You don't you know expect um, to really to find a story about you know Christmas morning uh, in a Yiddish newspaper you know the early 20th century. <laughs> yeah, um, I spoke with Ellen Cassidy recently about her translation of the work of Blumenthal, and I was also surprised when I read that work. 
it's it's contemporary, it's modern, and all of that. And again, I think you see that reflected in a lot of the stories you chose um, for this collection. It certainly speaks to the impact modernity had um, and immigration as well, and situations that might be surprising. For instance, I found um, Golda's Lament to be quite a story. I agree. Uh, that that was that was really, I think, um, a fortuitous um, find, um, and also one of my favorites. Um, yeah, I think that um, part of the impact this book might have as a whole, even though that the contents of it are very diverse um, in terms of style, in terms of tone, in terms of theme, based on the real diversity of what the newspaper published, it does, there is a departure here, I think, we're all between, from what a lot of people might conceive of as Yiddish literature. Um, you know, the, the that's, that's probably largely because the first generation of Yiddish writers, or modern Yiddish writers, the, or the, the generation that's referred to as the classicer, you know, the classic Yiddish writers, Shalom Aleichem, um, Ayel Peretz, um, they are not here at all. Mm-hmm. Um, they sort of preceded the foreword, uh, the, and, the, and the writers of the foreword published, you know, are starting really with the next generation, with people like Avram Raisin, with Sholomash, um, and with a lot of other lesser-known writers. So there's a certain difference, um, I think, in, in subject and in style um, from what people's uh, impressions of Yiddish literature might be. Uh, and that, I think that's that's instructive that that it that Yiddish literature took um, different forms over time in different contexts and in the pages of an American Yiddish newspaper, like Forward, it might have a different flavor than it would have uh, in other in other places. Is there one particular story piece in the collection that is a favorite of yours, or that had sort of? Um... It presented itself, and everything else kind of pulled together around it. Hmm. Well, I don't think there's there's uh, a single story in here that, uh, that really, I would say, ties the whole thing together. Because, again, it's such a diverse uh, selection of work. Um, even though I'm making this claim that there was a certain flavor to what the Ford published. It's very hard to put your finger on exactly what that is because it consciously, Kahan and other editors uh, consciously printed an immensely different type, different types of work in order to appeal to different, you know, reader readerships uh, and different constituencies. As far as what my own my own favorites, though, um, you know, like you mentioned, uh, Golos Immense is definitely a favorite, uh, and some of the stories by some of the better known writers as well. I think that. Uh, the David Bergelson story that's in here is about uh, the Civil War in Ukraine. Um, uh, is a, is a masterpiece, um, um, as is the story by I.J. Singer. But the same time period, uh, they sort of appear back to back in the World on Fire series, um, and I think they're really two of the strongest pieces in the collection. Long stories about the Civil War in Ukraine, the end of the Russian Revolution. Um, and even though they're both sort of the same 
same time, same place, at the same time. They're very different in style. They re- reflect their very different writers. Uh, and it's amazing to me that, that that there's still material out there that hasn't been translated. Uh, or And even though now in this book some of it has been, there's still much more that hasn't. Um, and it's just, it's, uh, it's, it's still out there. Um, and it's really, uh, quite, um, quite strong, quite powerful material. And do you think that you will work to see, um, some of that also get translated and published? Uh, well, I hope so. I mean, you know, as you mentioned, I'm, uh, uh, fellowship, uh, translation fellowship to the Yiddish Book Center and working on, uh, translate, still working on translation in that capacity, um, along with my fellow fellows. Um, and I know certainly through that program, there's a lot of, uh, work being done, um, on, on translating, um, Yiddish literature that's, uh, still out there, still untranslated. Um, so yeah, I hope I'm trying to do, to do my part, I guess, to, to continue this work. Well, um, we thank you for the part that you played in selecting, translating, and, um, you know, along with the other translators whose work appears in here in the collection and getting this through to publishing. It's, it, it's really a great, great collection of stories um, and easy to settle in with. So um, thank you for joining us today. And oh, uh, we look forward to seeing what, what you're up to next. Uh, yeah, well, as you mentioned, I'm working right now on a biography of Lubavitcher Rebbe that's taking up uh, most of my time at the moment. Um, it's an exciting project, uh, and uh, I'm also working on a translation for the Yiddish Book Center. Um, and uh, after that, we'll see. Uh, but right now, I have a lot on my plate, so <laughs> I'm trying to, to deal with one thing at a time here. Great. Well, again, or thanks. Two things at a time. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time. And for our listeners, again, the name of the book is Have I Got a Story for You? Um, and it is available in our bookstore um, as well as you can find it online. Thanks so much, Ezra. Thank you. Take care. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To learn more about this podcast and to subscribe, visit our website, yiddishbookcenter.org. This episode is produced by me, Alexa Sewing. And until next time, be well and be healthy.